Hello, and welcome to the Guardian Test Prep Back to Basic Podcast. My name is Dr. Christopher Seitz. I'm an emergency physician, and I'm here with my brother, Jason Seitz, who is a firefighter, paramedic, and RN. Together, we run Guardian Test Prep, an NREMT test prep company that specializes in helping EMT and paramedic students pass their national registry exam. Our Back to Basics podcast was created to make what are sometimes complex medical topics easy to understand and retain for students of emergency care. Please like and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming service, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining joining us. So I wanted to let you know that we did find your two-piece bathing suit at the house and uh, mom does have that lotion for you. Oh, okay. I'll swing by and pick it up. Yeah, perfect. Cool. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Guardian Test Press Back to Basic Podcast. That's right. You might be used to Sights and Sirens. What's that old company? It's not that company anymore. Now it's Guardian Test Prep because we did a name change and it's awesome. And we got all these resources and we're ready to bring them to you. But don't worry. Same old brothers. Guardian Test Prep now. Cooler shirts. Have you seen our symbol? It's on this TV. If you're watching this on video, it's pretty sweet. A lot of this was based off of this really cool symbol. <laughs> this emblem that we have yeah. is very cool. We found a logo that we liked and just decided to rebrand our entire <laughs> business around it. <laughs> so anyway, welcome to the Back to Basics podcast. If you're new with us, what we do here is me, a firefighter, paramedic, RN, IC, and my brother, just an ER doctor. We talk about complicated medical issues, what are sometimes considered to be complicated medical issues. We break them down to the basics, bring them back to basics, make them easy to understand, digestible, and fun. That's right. And welcome. So welcome. Yeah. Today's topic. Actually, do we have any sponsors today? So we do have a sponsor today. So today's sponsor is Rapid Rescue EDU. So Rapid Rescue Education is a uh, training center, an American Heart Association training center out in Oregon. Uh, National Training Center for uh, BLS, ACLS, and PALS. If you're interested in becoming a AHA or Red Cross uh, instructor, check them out at rapidrescueedu.com. Uh, they can get you certified online and join their training center to start offering training in your area or to your business or company and that sort of thing. So we appreciate their support. Um, so today's topic is compartment syndrome. Compartment syndrome. Compartment syndrome. We haven't talked about this one yet. It's kind of a fun topic to talk about because it's one of these things in trauma that uh is i think interesting to learn about and yeah trauma like has a lot of flair to it but like treatment for trauma sometimes is kind of like boring like you just kind of cover up the stuff and go you know i think compartment syndrome is kind of fun because it it's just a little bit of a medical twist on the the trauma right there's like something we got to assess for we got to look for we got to be concerned about and some different ways to handle that which makes it kind of a little bit more complicated but fun exactly and it's one of these things too like i said i i like you said sometimes trauma care can be very straightforward uh, in terms of following the trauma algorithm and but i like i mean this is this is one of those diagnoses that you have to look for that you have to diagnose that's time sensitive that is a true emergency needs to be dealt with so anytime we can ask some extra questions do some extra assessment uh to zero in on certain conditions i kind of get excited because it's kind of kind of more we can do uh in terms of just generally following our basic trauma care we're still going to follow our basic trauma care uh but maybe we can uh you guys can walk away today with some some extra things to look for to rule out or rule in uh, compartment syndrome, which is a surgical emergency, which we'll talk about. So, so first, let's start with what is compartment syndrome and why is it not crush, in, crush injury? <laughs> because everybody thinks that crush injury and compartment syndrome are the exact same thing. I say everybody, like many, many people mix these up. It's very easy to mix these up because they're kind of relative to one another. But what is compartment syndrome? And why is it not crush injury? So crush injuries can lead to compartment syndrome, but compartment syndrome itself is an increase, an increase in the pressure within the tissues. 
the compartments of different limbs and things like that. So you get an increase of pressure in the tissues themselves, um, which can happen from crush injuries, but doesn't always happen with crush injuries. Can happen with a lot of other things as well. The concern there is anytime you have buildup and pressure in a cavity or in a compartment, um, eventually that pressure can lead to ischemia and necrosis of tissue, right? I mean, I think we, we talk about a lot of things, especially in EMS care. The end all be all is eventually things lead to ischemia and ischemia eventually leads to seizure coma death, right? That's kind of like, that's just kind of how things go. So this is another condition where increased pressure within the tissues, within the compartments of uh, the body can, like I said, if left unchecked, can lead to ischemia. And then you got dead floppy limbs. We don't want that. Exactly. Nobody wants that. So let's talk a little bit about the anatomy because this is kind of where we have to start. People don't necessarily always remember from your anatomy stuff, like how the compartments in the bodies work, right? When we talk about compartments. So do you want to talk a little bit about like just from a high level, like what what we're talking about with like compartments in the legs and arms and things like that. So we're mainly talking about limbs here. You yeah. can get compartment syndrome of like, like, a, like you're, the problem is like the torso. Like you have like cavities, you know, that's different than compartments, but like your abdominal cavity could be considered like a compartment or your, you know, it'd be very rare to get some kind of like increased pressure enough to cause lack of oxygen to the tissues in something like in your torso because there's so many other complications that would happen before you get there that would affect your life right so like if that increased pressure you're going to have like heart issues before you're going to have like tissue around the heart that's getting necrosis from compartment it doesn't that doesn't make any sense so So when we talk about compartment syndrome we're typically talking about the limbs we're talking about the arms we're talking about the legs. legs or like 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 the hand or the forearm, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the areas of anywhere that, that basically fluid can get trapped or you can have that increased pressure um, and it can fill that compartment too much. And then you don't have that outflow, uh, that like safe outflow where you can get, you can circulate it back in. So obviously the closer to the torso, the more serious the compartment, because it holds more blood, it's bigger. And you're also cutting off blood flow a lot of times, depending on what's going on, but you can cut off blood flow to the lower extremity then. So like you can have compartment syndrome in your thigh, but then also lose function of your foot and your shin because you don't have blood flow going down there. Exactly. And the thing is that what we're going to find is that compartment syndrome is typically going to be seen in smaller compartments for the most part because the smaller the space, the smaller the compartment, the less pressure needs to happen to increase it to an amount where you have the syndrome. Exactly. Exactly. So talking, going back to the kind of the anatomy of like the legs and arms. So like your body is created in a way where you have different um, compartments that house different muscles, nerves, arteries, and they're separated by what are called fascia. So fascia is this kind of uh, fibrous, firm, kind of looks white. It's like a white tissue, um, connective tissue type of thing that separates compartments. There's a couple of reasons your body does that. One is for something like this, right? We don't really want infection, toxins, blood to be able to go everywhere as soon as they penetrate our skin. We want to be able to shut off those compartments. And yeah. it's, it's very similar to how like a naval vessel handles like fire or flooding. Like you, you, that's why like if you shoot a torpedo into a, into a battleship, 
like it can survive that. It's not just going to flood, right? They can shut off those compartments. They can keep the fire contained or they can keep right. the, the flooding contained, shut off those compartments. It's not going to get to the whole ship, right? Exactly. So our right. body does the same thing, right? Yeah. We, we've got an issue in our hand or our forearm. Okay. Well, we're going to cut off blood flow to that area and make sure it doesn't affect the systemic right. system. Or prevent the infection from spreading to a different compartment or prevent the toxins that are, you know, that kind of thing. So again, so you've got fascia that separates the different compartments to protect us from those kind of things. An interesting thing is that so if you've ever seen like an infection or trauma to the hand itself the hand if you like actually if you look at your hand the lines on the palm of your hand are essentially where the fascia connects to the skin so you got a bunch of lines on the palm of your hand when you get an infection in your hand the part of your hand that swells is the top of your hand and because that's where the actual compartments are. There's they're, they're, the compartments in the palm of your hand are almost too small. And from a functional standpoint, if you think about it, if you had swelling in the palm of your hands, you couldn't do anything. You wouldn't be able to like survive or handle. So the body is almost made in a way where that swelling and that infection would like go to the top of the hand. In, so you still can, function. So yeah, much. super interesting. So just how does that affect a, like palm reading? How What's that? How would that affect like palm reading? Um, like what I still know my future. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. That's a given. Even if it was swollen. So maybe they're not really palm reading, they're reading the fascial planes. That's some deep stuff. Yeah. We have to dig into that next time. That'll be next time. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, so so again, fascia is this connective tissue, fibrous tissue. It's firm and it's fixed. It doesn't really like it doesn't move around much. And it's good. And like I said, from a from a biological standpoint, it's good because it it walls off different areas to protect our body. The problem is, is that when we wall off different areas, we now have these compartments that are more predisposed to um, increase in pressure from, like I said, from whether it's from a crush injury and now we've got swelling because of blood or we've got swelling because of fluid extravasation and things like that. So what I'm hearing is that fascia is more structural, less functional. Correct. Right. Absolutely. But it's very structure serves the function of separating these places off in case something were to happen exactly exactly so really quick and like i said i wouldn't necessarily memorize this but we'll go through it so the most common compartment affected in the body so so if you're going to get compartment syndrome you're most likely going and this could show up on an exam or something that's why i throw it out there it's going to be the anterior compartment of your lower leg so like you said small smaller compartment correct because it's yep. more common to have the smaller compartments. Mm-hmm. You're saying the anterior portion. Anterior portion. Which kind of makes sense. Like if you look at your leg, like there's not really like like your calf. There's a bunch of tissue in the back. In the front top of your leg, there's just kind of like a lot of times just your bone. And like, so those compartments are smaller. So the most commonly affected uh, compartment in the body when it comes to compartment syndrome is the anterior compartment of the lower leg. There's four compartments in the lower leg. There's the anterior. There's the lateral Then there's the superficial posterior and the deep posterior. And again, that anterior one is the most common affected. I don't think you necessarily have to memorize those. I could see it showing up on a national registry exam, to be honest, though. Like, what's the most commonly affected compartment in compartment syndrome? Again, I would just maybe memorize that from a test-taking standpoint. Other most common area you're going to get compartment syndrome is going to be in the forearm. Again, so smaller compartments, but large enough where they can, like I said, cause problems. So the forearm and definitely don't memorize these i had to look these up but the compartments of the forearm are the mobile wad apparently that's a compartment the mobile wad then the dorsal superficial and the dorsal deep 
and then the Volar superficial and the Volar deep. Sounds like races in a fantasy novel. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, so so again, so like I said, there just recognize that there are there are compartments in the like I said, in your lower and upper arm, lower and upper leg. The most commonly affected areas for compartment syndrome are going to be your lower leg. That's the most common one, and specifically the anterior compartment of your lower leg. And then again, next will be your forearm. Cool. So talking about compartment syndrome, what are going to be, maybe you can jump in and kind of tell us a little bit about what are some of the causes of compartment syndrome? Like, so we talked about crush injury is not the same as compartment syndrome, but it can be a cause. What are some, what are, when are we going to, from a EMS standpoint, when should we start worrying about looking for signs and symptoms of compartment syndrome? So I think we have to think of what, like you said, the, the mechanism of this is an increased pressure in that compartment, right? So what would increase pressure in that compartment? So it could be, uh, this is why crush injury makes sense, right? If something falls on my arm and it forces fluid and pressure to shoot downstream right into my into my limbs that pressure is increased and now i, I have that risk of, of that tissue damage right um you could have some bruising that's causing like anytime we have like circumferential uh pressure that could be a big issue so if you had like a real deep tissue bruise and you had that increased pressure and fluid in that area that could do it if you had um a tourniquet on that could cause it right that's the risk of like when we put tourniquets on downstream we're concerned about they say losing the limb right well it's from compartment syndrome right it's from that that increased pressure um that's why we want to get that tourniquet off if we can within two hours you know get them to get them to the hospital um fractures can do this um and that makes sense with fractures because like you said you've tear some vessels now you've got bleeding into those compartments yeah anything that so you remember that like more fluid is going to increase pressure right so if I increase the amount of fluid going into a, a fixed space, I'm going to increase the pressure in that fixed space. So anything that's going to cause like increased fluid and then the inability of that fluid to escape, though, is the big thing, right? That's where we talk about like circumferential injuries that like cause like pinning, right? Um, so like vice-like stuff like that, you could have, um, we're concerned about uh, circumferential burns. Yeah, you know, burns as well. If yeah. we have like a burn that then, you know, cuts off that flow because we can't get through that small, we can't escape through that small space because it's kind of banded around it. Um, so that would be the, those would be the Anabolic two steroids big, is a big one, right? Yeah. Anabolic steroids, if you use anabolic steroids, that can cause increased pressure. Is it, so here's my question about that is, do you know, is it where you're injecting it that it's the big risk because you're, or is it just steroid use tends to shift fluid? I'm not 100% sure. I think it's where you're injecting the steroid itself. Because if you when you inject when you inject anything into the body, it causes an inflam like a little bit of inflammatory reaction. So a fluid and and so you because usually you would inject anabolic steroid in your butt cheek, right? True. Because it's probably the safest place to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So you just get a dead butt cheek. I don't know if you can get compartment syndrome in your butt. I'm sure you probably could, but. Something to look into. Yeah. Next time, <laughs> we'll cover just keep butt pushing these off. Yeah. We'll talk about butt compartment syndrome. Butt compartment syndrome. No. So yes, and I think we can. We can, like I said, those, all those things, like you said, fractures and bruising, circumferential bruising, specifically like hematomas. Um, like I said, steroid use, anabolic steroids. So even our own treatments, we've got to worry about. Right. Like that, that's an example. Like if I'm bandaging someone's arm, I want to make sure that I'm starting farthest away from the torso and I, I band it in, in a circular fashion up towards the torso. So I'm pushing fluid. I'm not constricting and cutting off blood flow. Right. right I'm pushing right. fluid back towards the body to increase that circulation. If I put a bandage on too tightly, again, circumferential issues. Right. Well, and this is why. So when, when someone breaks their leg or breaks their arm in the emergency department, I don't put a cast on. 
I put on a splint because a splint is basically like it's you know one it's a one sided cast if you, you know or a, or a two sided cast, but it allows for that limb to it's an acute injury so it can swell. If I put a cast on immediately and the arm kept swelling, I'm going to cause compartment syndrome. So all these things I think can be narrowed down into two two main mechanisms. One is increased fluid in the compartment, right? Or two constricting of the skin or you're constricting of the compartment the right department becoming smaller what's increasing the pressure right right yeah too yeah. much fluid or the container became smaller right exactly so two things so things that cause you know bleeding into the vessels swelling into the tissue all this kind of stuff that can obviously increase the pressure because we've got increased fluid in there or things like constricting bandages tourniquets circumferential burns and constricting of that space and this is where i have i have a really big hard time with this a lot of times because i think of compartment syndrome and i think when we first understand it in, in EMT or medic school, like nursing school, wherever, right. We, we learn it for the first time and it, it kind of seems like it's from a lack of oxygen to the, to the tissue. And it is, but we think because there's, there's a cutoff of blood flow, right? Like when I put a tourniquet on, I cut off blood flow, but that's not what compartment syndrome is. What compartment syndrome is, is that increase in pressure. So a lot of times it's not a cutoff of blood flow. It's a quick increase blood flow. And then that blood becomes trapped, right? So that's where we have to kind of, you know, change our thinking where it's not, this isn't from a lack of blood flow. It's from an increase pressure yeah exactly right and that increased pressure over time because that fluid that's in there that too, runs out of oxygen eventually right, and exactly, now you get yeah. ischemic and you do get the necrosis yeah. and you have the tissue injury but that's where it, it's easy to mix that up oh i'm worried about and this is where i think crush injury comes into place we're worried that that boulder has been on top of his arm the whole time we're worried about it cutting off circulation to the rest of his arm and that's going to go necrotic yeah that's different than compartment syndrome, though. We're also worried about compartment syndrome because of the increase of the pressure that went into that arm from the boulder sitting on right, it, right? Yeah. So, or, and another thing, too, or when we take that boulder off and all that fluid rushes in there, that can happen as well. The, we just cause the compartment, cause syndrome, compartment syndrome by removing syndrome, them, right? Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, perfect. I get, again, this is kind of like I said, thinking of these things a little bit differently because of how the pathophysiology actually works. So... Based on that, so based on what we, we now kind of understand what's happening with compartment syndrome, so what kind of signs and symptoms are we going to get? The five P's. The five P's. And right. The sixth so, hidden P that you just told me about. Yes, which I'll share in a moment. But anyway, so the five P's are kind of the easy way to remember what is going on with the signs and symptoms to look for in compartment syndrome. This is a national registry question, like 100%. For sure. Yeah. Like I've seen it in dozens of test programs, including our own. Yeah. Um. But like if you if you buy question banks and stuff like that and you stay in those, like you're going to see the five P's all the time. And I'll throw in a little plug here. If you're listening to this lecture and you want to get CE approval for it, then check it out on AmericanCME.com. These these uh, are our video podcasts are placed on there for continuing educations, continuing education credits, excuse me, for EMS. So if you want that, go listen to it there. Uh, there will be a 10 question quiz and one of them will definitely one be of the questions will five be the five P's, P's right. if not two. If not two, or maybe 10, because I can't think of any other questions. How do you do 10 questions on five P's? Well, that's the real. Which is, which isn't. Just over and over <laughs> yeah, and over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, anyway, so what are the five P's? Pulselessness. So the area doesn't, you can't find a pulse. Paralysis. Can't move that area. No function there. Perthesia, as they say. Um, which is basically like a numbness tingling, you know, like, like a lack of feeling. Different than paralysis. Paralysis would be like lack of function. Yeah. Paresthesia would be lack of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think here. Pulsus is paresthesia. 
Pallor. Pallor. It's pale mm-hmm. because there's not new blood flow coming it's in. It's not new blood. I love how you said that because it's not because of a lack. It's a lack. So that's what's funny is it's a lack of circulation of blood flow, but it's not a lack. It's not a cut off of blood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and the last one, pain. Pain. It hurts like hell. Yeah. And that's one thing to look for. So again, the five P's are great to remember, but then realize that especially in the acute setting, you may only see two of them. Right. So like I said, late signs of compartment syndrome, compartment syndrome, that's been that pressure has been there for a while. That's what's going to lead to pulselessness, paralysis. I mean, the, the, like if you have pulselessness and paralysis, that means that the motor neurons have been affected. That means that the blood flow has now been completely cut off over time because of not because of a lack of blood flow into the thing, but because of the pressure in the compartment has now squeezed down on the vessels that are in the compartment. And there's no more new oxygen and new blood flow coming in. But the early signs, the things that we need to be on the lookout, especially in the acute setting from an emergency standpoint, are pain. That seems a little too easy, right? Like pains, obviously, they're going to have pain. Well, pain kind of out of proportion to exam. So someone who's got like a really painful arm, but you're looking at it and you're like, I don't know. I don't really see any massive trauma there. I don't really see a lot of other changes. Why do they have so much pain? That should clue you in. Well, and also like, hey, a boulder landed on my shoulder. Uh, my bicep feels fine. My forearm is excruciating and I can't feel my hand. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, you right. know what I mean? Like, like right. and you, like, would, you would think your shoulder would hurt just as bad as everything else because you, a boulder landed on you, exactly. right? Pain out of proportion. Um, Paresthesias can start early, right? Because you got those sensory nerves that are kind of affected earlier on. Tingling, numbness, weird feelings. Yep. And then, then you're going to, later signs are going to be paralysis and you're going to get the uh, pulselessness later on, but you might not see those in the acute What's setting. the secret six P? So there is a sixth P. And it's a secret. And it's a secret that we're going to share with you. It's called poikilothermia. Don't know what it means. Let me tell you what it means. It means that your body can't regulate temperature. So you've got like someone who's like, it's hot outside and for whatever reason, their forearm has goosebumps. Yeah, but that's like just a shock symptom. Oh, yeah. Why have I never heard of poclio? Because we had to make it a P, so it was six P's. You can't have five P's and a... I guess. And an S. You know what I mean? It's got to be six P's. And chocolate and, and right. fluid imbalance. So, Five so, P's and an F. Five P's and an F. So again, so yeah, so poikilothermia. So this this inability to regulate temperature. We won't dive into it here, but like I remember in medical school, I kind of look, looked into like why you get these symptoms when you do. If you actually look at the anatomy of like a compartment, where the blood vessel is compared to where the nerves are, it actually makes sense why as p- pressure build up, certain things would get squeezed down first. Now, would you see the this pocleothermia? Would you do you think you would see that early as as you do in shock? Because like we we learn a lot that like that like fluid imbalance causing the, that temperature irregularities is a pretty early sign of shock because that's kind of the first thing that our body shuts down, right? Like our our body isn't good at regulating fluid, so then we we're cold when we should be hot, we're hot when we should be cold, we're sweating, we're nauseous, you know things like that. Do you think you'd see that earlier? Wait, with I think it'd be earlier. Like I said, I think it'd be earlier. Obviously, pain's going to be your big main one. Paresthesias. Like so maybe the pycolothermia and then later would be paralysis and that sort of thing. From an assessment, an assessment standpoint, a couple other things you can look for. So one of besides pain out of proportion, another sign or I guess symptom, that would be a sign, not a symptom, but another symptom and something that you can test for in the field is two point discrimination. What that means is that I touch you on one part of your arm and then I touch you on another part of your arm and you tell me, do you feel both touches? And then I bring my fingers closer together and I touch closer together, closer together, closer together. In a normal functioning person, like you can tell if like two touches really close to each other, you can tell the difference between the two. 
two point discrimination goes away because it's a sen- it's more of like a sensory nerve problem. So you'll touch the patient like on one part of their arm and then like an inch or two away, and they're like, "Yeah, no, it feels like I the felt same one touch." Yeah, exactly. So that can be a little bit of a, I kind of like throwing in some of these like, "What are some other things we can do?" People always ask us like, "Yeah, what what other things can I look for in the field?" That would be another. That is actually with the pain out of proportion, a very um high yield type of physical exam test to really clue you in like, ooh, like if that's happening. That's the kind of stuff that's so fun to do in the back of the ambulance because your crew is always like, what is he doing? What are you doing? Like, like, do you oh, feel two like point you're... discrimination. Don't you know like, that? Obviously. Like luckily we like just did this podcast the day before and but they think I'm a wizard. Right. Yeah. It's great. And you're like, is there any poikilothermia? And they're like, huh? You're like, yeah, I'm gonna mind. use poikilothermia. Like, Never mind. Now. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna ask patients, are you suffering from poikilothermia? <laughs> and then they're like, I'm like, oh okay, how long have you been altered? this exactly so so again so 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 other some extra things you can do from an ems standpoint um so those are the big things so the five or six p's that we're going to look for a couple of tests we can do with that two-point discrimination so what are we going to do in terms of treatment i mean there's not a whole there's not a ton we can't there's not a ton right obviously as always and i i don't want we emphasize this a lot and i don't want our overemphasis to diminish you know what i mean like what we're trying to say early you don't want us saying that this is important to make people think that it's not important well, you know what yeah pretty much right like when we talk when we when we keep reiterating something people are like yeah yeah i've heard it being a dead horse kind of thing right but at the same time like i can't overemphasize how much i can't underemphasize excuse me how much importance we need to place on early diagnosis if you diagnose these things in the field because you know about them you've listened to a podcast you've taken your continuing education seriously the, th- that is what actually saves people's lives. That's what saves lives and limbs, right? Because if you don't do it, then I got to do it. And let's be honest, like I might miss it too. Like that's why there's a team of us. There's not just one person doing the care from the beginning to the end. There needs to be more people. So again, early diagnosis or at least early suspicion of a diagnosis that's brought up to the emergency department physician and things like that is so, so, so important. So again, don't underestimate how much good you do in the field through just good assessment and good physical exam and early diagnosis of these things. Just because like we're going to get fluids. Well, that's the thing is that that's what I was going to say for treatment is careful use of fluids. Careful use of fluids is, is yeah. what we would do for compartment syndrome. In the back of an ambulance, we would have careful use of fluids, pain control and rapid transport. And trying to figure out what the underlying cause is. Right. Like, is it a constricting? Like, like if, if, if someone's basically got these signs and symptoms and they got a cast on their lower leg, Cut the cast. Cut off. the cast off, right? Yeah, I like take the bandage off. Like take the take the tourniquet down. Whatever you know, whatever like these kind of things can happen. We want to assess those and, and take care of the. If we can re, if we can take care of the inciting event, we should try to yeah. without harming the patient. Now, can you explain to our audience why I say careful use of fluid? Well, yeah, I think it, I think it makes sense, right? So, like, we need fluids to support. To bring oxygen to, to bring the oxygen. Tissue, right? not, not really oxygen, because the fluid doesn't bring oxygen, but the fluid itself is going to increase our blood pressure. That's going to increase the flow of blood red cells, blood cells and bring blood, oxygen to, to bring tissues. oxygen yeah. to the tissues. Right. The problem is we just talked about what are the two main things for compartment syndrome. Increased pressure. So if I increase the volume, there's an issue. Am I propagating the issue? Right. And this is where I think it's like medics start having discussions of like, well, I wouldn't do that because it could do that. Or I would do it every time. And it's not, it's always like always never situation. Right. So we have, we just have to, it's just like if we have like a, um, like a cardiogenic shock, 
Like we still we still treat that patient with fluid to to establish a blood pressure. We just have to be very careful that if we start to see worsening signs and symptoms, then we're going to need to back off on that fluid and let people you know let people know let you, let you guys know. Yeah. So you're not going to start aggressive fluids and let it go and not do anything. You're not going to not start fluids because you're not doing anything. You're going to start gentle fluid hydration and continue to reassess. And and that's the thing is it's, it's this knowing the nuances, knowing what to look for is going to be so important here because now we're, we're, we're turning the knob on and we're turning it off. And we're turning it on. We have to kind of, we have to really watch that and know what we're talking about. If we just, people want a shotgun method all the time. They want that magic bullet. They want to say, I'll give aggressive fluid management or I won't give fluid at all. And that's just not the answer. Sometimes the answer is some fluid and you're not going to know that it's too much fluid until you start to recognize that it's too much fluid, which means you need to know how to look for that. Right. And in this case, you're probably going to see an increase in the five P's. I mean, you you may see swelling even and, or you're going to see diminishing vital signs. So just pay attention to those things and back off the fluid when you start bumping into them. Don't, chase towards him. Don't, I'm going to increase fluid until he feels more pain. Then I know it's too much and I'll stop. That doesn't make sense. Right. So it's this knowing the, you know, knowing the signs and symptoms of it, knowing what you're doing to the body and the negative effects with that along with the positive. Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree. So fluid hydration, early assessment and diagnosis, pain control is going to be huge. Um, position of comfort, obviously like I said, that, that actually does make does help, you know what I mean? Like putting the limb in a position of comfort, um, splinting if it needs to be done. Like if there's a fracture underlying, you need to maybe do a splint. Yeah. If you cut a cast off, like put a splint. Off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or if they've got, like I said, if they've got trauma and a fracture that you think is causing it, splinting the limb is going to decrease the chance of them causing more trauma and more bleeding into their compartments. So once you bring him to me, what do I do? So in order to truly make the diagnosis of compartment syndrome, compartment syndrome is a surgical emergency. So we need to be very certain that this is compartment syndrome before we rush this person off to surgery. So what we do is that we will be literally, we take a, it's a special device that basically sticks a needle into the compartment and measures the pressure. And we know that if the pressure is greater than turkey baster. Yeah, kind of. It actually kind of looks like that. No, not really turkey baster. What's that thing you put in the turkey? That's what I'm talking about. Isn't that called a turkey baster? No, a turkey baster is where you like squirt juices. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the turkey thermometer thing. That's what know? I was thinking of. Yeah. A baster. Not a baster. What's a baster? What a baster is like where you suck the fluids up with the baster and you squirt it over top of the turkey. That's kind of... This is digressed. Yeah. Anyway. So, you know... Next that, like, time, turkey basters, <laughs> turkey basters and turkey thermometers. How to cook the perfect turkey. <laughs> so, yeah. The, ter- the turkey thermometer thing. Like, it's like a big, like, metal needle thing that checks the pressure and if the pressure is greater than i want to say 20 don't quote me on that 20 milligrams of mercury i may be remembering that incorrectly but something like that there's some number if it's higher than that then yes that's too much pressure in the tissue But he will remember it right if you are his patient in a clinical setting i will i will youtube that immediately absolutely oh no (laughs) so so we get that diagnosis and then again it's a surgical emergency so these patients what they ultimately need is what's called a fasciotomy we talked about that fascia, right? We talked about those fascial planes that keep the car. We need to open them up, right? We need that pressure. It's got to go somewhere. It's got to go out. So we're going to make in the, the orthopedic surgeon usually is going to make incisions to open up the tissue, open up that fascia. So that pressure is released. This is very similar. If you guys are familiar with like escharotomies with, with like third degree burns, right? So we're same, same danger. That fluid can't escape. Now we're having internal damage to those tissues. So we have to like, cut and slice to release the pressure, right? So let that limb or let that compartment expand more. 
And the escarotomy is when you have that like burnt, like dark escar escar over the skin. But if you have just acute burns and just the acute burns themselves are causing so much swelling that you're getting signs of you get a a fasciotomy. So burn patients will get fasciotomies of their fingers, hands, arm, like whatever they need to be. And think about this mechanism wise, either too much fluid or too small of a compartment, right? right? So what do we do? We make the compartment bigger. Right. And now it's yeah. not too much fluid and the compartment's not too small. Right. Yeah. It's the only really way to handle that. Yeah. And then too, what from a surgical standpoint, you can go in and if there's bleeding, we can stop that bleeding. If there's, you know, if fluid needs to be fixed that underlying cause. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So so that's pretty much compartment syndrome. It's not super complicated, but I think again, like you had kind of mentioned, some of these nuances of understanding the the real pathophysiology of compartment syndrome that it's not necessarily a lack of blood flow to the area it's too much fluid or decreased compartment so these are the things we have to think about that we need to ask questions about so we can get to that diagnosis early because it is like i said it's um time is limb in this case right like the more time it goes the worse chance they have of losing the limb because they get necrosis and ischemia and that sort of thing so anything else you want to add in there before we close out? I don't think so. Check us out next time for turkey basters, cooking the burger turkey, <laughs> anabolic steroids, butt compartment butt syndrome. syndrome. I yeah. think there was another one. A lot of topics we got. We got a lot coming time. at you. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we'll do that next time. Another quick plug again. If you would like to get continuing education credits for listening to these podcasts, go to AmericanCME.com. Uh, there. So like this lecture or this podcast won't be there right now if you look today. But within the next couple of weeks, so our past podcast will be on there. You can listen, get CME credits, um, see our beautiful faces because it's video based. It's wonderful. AmericanCME.com. Love to have you there. Finally, if you're studying for National Registry exam, you like this kind of content, you got to check out our program, guardiantestprep.com. Uh, we have a full NREMT prep program, 15 hours of lectures, question banks, workbooks. We will help you pass that exam. We'd love to. So hope doesn't you guys have a great EMT, week. Doesn't matter if it's AMT, doesn't matter if it's medic. We got you. Got you. That's right. So we hope you guys have a wonderful week. We thank you for joining us and we will see you next time. Stay sweet. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, we'd love for you to check out the rest of our content at guardiantestprep.com. We specialize in preparing EMT, AEMT, and paramedic students for not only their school, but also the National Registry exam at the end. Enter EMT Test Prep with over 15 hours of videos, workbooks, question banks, and everything you need to pass. We'd love to have you get involved. Again, guardiantestprep.com. Check us out.